Hello and welcome to the Sour Popcorn Podcast. A weekly podcast regarding all things entertainment, including reviews. So in the news this week, that Last Jedi trailer that we haven't seen. <laughs> yeah, we've kind of officially decided to take a vow of chastity when it comes to this trailer. We've just said we're not going to watch it and we're going to go in fully blind. And it hurts because I, I love seeing the trailers like with when Force Awakens released that one, I watched that over and over and over. And like yep. the first trailer to The Last Jedi, I just rewatched that and rewatched that. And then I love revisiting it. Like I watched Force Awakens one at the weekend and then just hearing it all again with all yeah. the same music beats. And it was just brilliant. And I, I was got, so sad. I was so sad back when the trailer for Force Awakens released that I literally downloaded the audio for the trailer so I could play it on my phone when I couldn't be watching the trailer. <laughs> I would be walking to school, I'd be listening to the trailer. I was that happy, so it kind of does kill me that I can't listen or watch this new one. Because Mark Hamill said not to a while ago when he said they release a new one, he said don't watch it. And then Ryan Johnson wasn't sure, even though he's now come out and said watch it. Because I think he wants to, he wanted to have broken the record yeah. of far, like most watched trailer. But we just want to go in blind because we have a vague synopsis from the previous one and this just pains me yeah and we ultimately agree that it's gonna make finally seeing last jedi the four times that we see it a lot more worthwhile we're four, gonna at least six or seven <laughs> yeah i mean i will see it four times alone opening week but we were just we feel it will make it a lot happier to see it and we'll be a lot more satisfied when we finally get it because it will drive us insane usually the first thing i do after i've seen a seen a film in cinema i go and see if jeremy johns or chris duckman have done a spoiler video on it but with this one the first thing i'm going to do as soon as i come out of the theater from seeing it is just watch that trailer so then i know it all off by heart so then i feel like ah, i've not missed out yeah i was a part of the brief craze <laughs> otherwise you become from that video the only lee animated youtube channel no. really check it out there is this beautiful <laughs> video good. where she hasn't watched the trailer she hasn't watched the movie and she explains why you have to do it because you become a social pariah so we will definitely be eventually watching the trailer what is this a crossover episode another news that the walking dead and fear the walking dead are having a crossover episode uh yeah i think this could be Really exciting if they pull it off. I think it's got potential to go many different ways. If I hope it's just something like a character is popping up in an episode or we get an origin story for a character that's appearing in one of the other shows. I hope it isn't something that goes like the CW when they do their big crossover oh, week no. where the, you have to have watched one to know the other. I hope it's just a very simple, quick little thing that fans of either show will be able to enjoy. With the CW stuff, I'm lucky because they show The Flash first and that's the one that I watch. And then Same. I know that if I then watch that and it leaves on a cliffhanger, I can then Google it and see which other episodes to watch of the other shows. But when they first started Fear the Walking Dead, they said it is completely separate. There's not going to be a crossover. But now, because Fear doesn't have the same ratings, especially in the UK. Yeah, definitely. I think... I'm I think they're doing it to bump that up because, for example, Fear the Walking Dead in the UK is, unless you buy it on Amazon or something, which is what I do, I buy it episode for episode or Same. series pass, um, they only have it on AMC UK because you can tell that AMC is salty that they sold The Walking Dead to Fox. 
but yeah. they have fear on AMC UK, which you can only get from a premium subscription with BT for TV. So that's like a, a small subsection of a small subsection. So it just makes yeah. it really inconvenient to watch it. So what, what I've wanted ever since fear first started is one of the main characters from it to just turn up in the walking dead and they're yeah. by themselves. And then you're like, Oh, so if they survive on through, where are these other people? And then, yeah, it'd be really interesting if they had done a, almost a scene where say, for instance, I'm going to pick Alicia Denham Carey's character. If she was just, she popped up on an episode of the regular walking dead show and she's completely alone by herself, but on the fear of the walking dead show, she's got all her family, her friends around her. It would be so interesting for us to be able to see. It would be the perfect kind of tension for the series going forward to think just how does she end up on her own and just what happened to the other people around her. And it would be good to subvert that then by saying, like, in the, in fear, like, oh, they haven't died, she just ran off or something like that. But then she doesn't talk about it in the main show. But then, so everyone thinks they've died, but then they subvert it by doing something shocking. And Robert, Rob Kirkman's a, a clever bloke. He, he knows what he's doing. I personally think the way they're going to do this is we'll get a character from Fear in Walking Dead and then we'll get a character from The Walking Dead in Fear. Yeah. I think that they'll throw a really big character into the Fear of the Walking Dead. My money's on Michonne. That's what my money's going to be on. I don't think they will because they had the flashback scene in, was it series three? I don't think that was what it'll be. I think it will series just be four. something she'll run into them or maybe they'll even do it where they've caught up the timelines, but they technically have shouldn't and she'll run into them. I think she's one of the few characters left that has got the fan support. Like... For me, when I've always looked at fans of this show, the two biggest characters have been like Daryl and Michonne. Michonne is like Carol. Carol's. Not. I must admit, Carol has seriously gone up, but I, I actually think... know because in in the latest series, she sort of. Yeah, she has. She's had a crappy she, season. She's done a Morgan. But... She's become a pacifist. I don't mind with Morgan, but with Carol, she's just that bloodthirsty maniac that we need. But I think Michonne has like personified some of the female badassness of this show like you can maybe claim maggie and carol are near her but michonne is just that character and i think if she's brought onto something like fear for even if it's an episode it will boost the ratings whereas i think a fear minor character will appear very briefly in the regular walking dead show i don't think they'll subvert that much time for the walking dead show although the main walking dead is set in atlanta and then fear the walking dead was set in is it Los Angeles, yeah. Los Angeles in the Mexico and yeah. I remember reading an article and someone did the maths and it would be if you walked eight hours every day it would take three months or something like that yeah it's, to, and yeah. so it, it's going to be very difficult explaining how they've done it so either there's like I mean it's taken them train four months line or like it's like taken that. them five years just to get from Georgia to Washington so <laughs> and we know what the Walking Dead's all about walking. Also in the news this week is something that I am personally thrilled by. We've received the news that Creed 2 is not only officially happening, but Sylvester Stallone will direct it. I cannot wait for this movie. Creed was honestly one of my absolute favourite films of 2015. It was so well done. And I think now that Sylvester Stallone has got the perfect formula for these films... He will make an amazing movie out of this, especially with Michael B. Jordan's enthusiasm. Who directed the first one? Uh, Ryan Coogler. 
Oh, right. That's exactly why I'm so excited for Black Panther because he made such an amazing John Creed. Like it's a technically amazing film, and that's why Black Panther will be so interesting. But I think, given how great Stallone was in Creed, I think he should have won an Oscar for it. To see him now come back with such enthusiasm and such, like, buzz off the previous movie, I think he's gonna not only gonna make this a great film but he's going to make his character into a real star i think this will be the one that potentially wins spielberg no not spielberg what am i saying stallone an oscar or at least the movie some buzz for a nomination because i feel the first one really should have received some and it's nice that he is still in the franchise yeah yeah that was something that i love so much about the original creed movie you think it's all going to be about michael jordan as adonis creed but it's really not. It's still the Rocky franchise. It's still Rocky's story, like how he's, like, coping, spoiler alert, like coping with cancer and, like, how the progression of the film is, like, not how only Adonis can prepare for the fight, but how Rocky can go through treatment. And I think it's beautiful that it's a real passing of the torch story. And I think this will be the one that officially does it. Because I would honestly not be surprised if Rocky did die in this movie. But I think that where Creed potentially failed to fully pass over the torch, this will be the film that really completes it for me. Did you see the Pacific Rim 2 trailer? Yes, I did. And I just felt really no way interested by it, in all honesty. Very pretty, just not a lot going on. I, I am excited for it, but... It's not something that I'm particularly keen or grabbing for because I really like the first one. Like, yeah, Grandma yeah, yeah. del Toro created such an amazing, beautiful world. And in this one, it, it, it's not carrying across much from the first one because now they've got the world built back up slightly and, and it, they're, they're changing aspects to it that I sort of agree with because it'd be difficult to progress the story from where they left it. So it's sort of time on. And isn't John Boyega Idris Elba's son in this one? I haven't really paid much attention to the story. I don't honestly know. I would not be surprised if he was, like, Idris Elba's son. Like, I was... I was not a fan before release of the original movie when I heard that Del Toro had gone off The Hobbit to do films like this. I was beyond annoyed because I thought Del Toro would have been the perfect fit for the original... Like, for The Hobbit films. But then when I saw the actual movie Pacific Rim, I was blown away and completely realised that was what Del Toro needed to be doing. We need more great kaiju movies. But when I just saw this trailer, I just felt... I really couldn't tell the difference between it and the likes of this year's Power Rangers film. It just yeah. looked so 90s and just kind of like cliched. And, and I honestly the... don't think there'll be anything that original in this. And the kaiju were... They connect in this trailer, like, um, is it the Kaiju? See the Kaiju or the Jaegers? They, they connect and like, you yeah, know, the Me Power Megazorg Rangers from yeah. Power Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> or the um, the Voltron. It's just hard. Oh, just don't do that. Just give me a good Godzilla, King Kong, and Pacific Ring crossover movie, which would be great. That would be good. That would be amazing if it was given the right director. But now that's a cinematic universe that I'd like. Yeah, that would be brilliant to see, but. When it comes to this, I just... Don't get me wrong, there was nothing with the trailer. It was just, I felt I'd seen pretty much everything they were throwing at me before. And there was nothing really 
original enough to grab me. Yeah, it seems very much more by the numbers, and it'll have good special effects, it will look good, and it'll have good performances, but apart from that, I think the story will be very familiar. Yeah, without a doubt. With also in the news this week, we've learned that season 11 of The X-Files will unfortunately be Gillian Anderson's last. If we get a season 12, it will not have Dana Scully in it, and that is to me absolutely heartbreaking. She is just the heart and soul of that show for me. Like, David Duchovny's good, but it's always been her. Like, even when yeah. Mulder left and they brought in the guy from Terminator 2, I can't remember his name, to, like, replace him. She stayed on and she was still my primary reason to watch it. I've always thought she was great. And to think that she'll be potentially, like, killed off or yeah, just walking off into the sunset, it will really upset me. <laughs> like, Especially after they've just had the sun. Yeah, exactly. Like... I've often said, like, I was never a fan of the X-Files reboot. I think it should have ended when, I believe it was the first movie came out. I want what, to the believe. 2007 one? I do, no, I think it was the first, I can't even remember. It's oh, the, the one, first one. It's the one where they've got the playground and then they've got an underground, like, pit and then, like, the guy gets bitten and he just gets sealed in underground. That's really horrible, that scene. And it was really great. I thought that was like the best the franchise had ever re reached because they confirmed there were aliens out there, but then they just kept on going. And I'm in ways glad to see that Gillian Anderson won't be attached to something like this anymore. But at the same time, to see the franchise going forward without her is really upsetting. And the first film is a way to introduce aliens into a world where they're not sure if there are aliens or not successfully. And Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is an example of how to do it unsuccessfully. <laughs> yeah, that was, I must admit, something I did like about the original X-Files. Like, my two favourite episodes of, like, the original X-Files are, um, the one with the sewer people who are, like, born out of radiation and the one about the, um, cannibal murder family farm. And those are two, probably the best episodes ever, but they're nothing to do with aliens. My like, these are things ones, made yeah. by natural causes and they're amazing. My favourite one's the one with Brian Cranston that got in Breaking Bad. Really? Was he in X-Files? I haven't seen all of X-Files, so I don't know. Like, Yeah, because he played a downtrodden father and he was in the back of the car, then he had a complete breakdown, and then that's the clip that they used to be like, wow. we want him for Breaking Bad. Wow, that's actually... Yeah, definitely remind me to watch that later. I will dive into that. That sounds amazing, like... I've watched a great majority of the X-Files. I haven't seen all of it. Like, I've dived in where I can every now and then. But Gillian Anderson has always been such an amazing actress in it. Like, yeah. I've always thought she was great. Like, she was brilliant in The Fall. Yeah, I was going to say This that. year in American Gods. She was amazing. She's American Gods. She's media. She's the goddess of, oh. like, television and the modern world. Like, she's dressed as David Bowie. She's Marilyn Monroe. She's a person, um... Well, Ziggy Stardust, I mean. Like, she's, um... From Gone with the Wind, she plays really amazing characters in this series. And while I'm glad to see that she'll be away to do more projects like that, which I think she's more suited to, it is unfortunate to see a franchise that I think she's been holding on her shoulders lose her. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how it's going to do without her. Yeah, I mean, they can try it with David Duchovny, but I don't think anyone else is really asking for that much of a continuation of this series. I mean given how bad the first series of this reboot was, I don't think anyone's really that invested in seeing more. So you know Luke Besson's, um, he's got a new film coming out, Anna, 
Not 100% sure what it's about. But he's managed to get Helen Mirren and Luke Evans attached. Wow, wow. Which, which surprises me after Valerian. And while that was received meh, critically, it did so badly financially. Yeah, I think it's one of the... I remember reading somewhere, I think it's one of the biggest flops in the past 25 years that cinema has ever faced. Which is a shame because it is like... It's an absolutely the biggest budget film, independent yeah. film, and it looks has such good visual effects. Yeah, well, there's, well, there's nothing great about it. There's nothing bad about it either. It's definitely worth your money. And this isn't spoilers, but the very end it has a little text on the side that says "to my father." And then yeah. I just turned to Zach and said in the in the theatre, "I think he owes someone an apology." Yeah. <laughs> It wasn't that dreadful. I, I'd no, see, I enjoyed it. I'd, I'd see another it. three of those if they were made. But yeah. I think it's cool that he's been already just kind of like jumped on to see if he can make another movie. I hear the girl that he's getting to play, well, Anna, is a newcomer. I think she's a new star. I think would oh, be good. really great. Movie. Like if we all think back to Natalie Portman, I'm how did she become Leon. such like a star? It was because Luke Besson made her in Leon the Professional and I think Leon the Professional is probably one of the favourite Blu-rays I have yeah it's such a cool brilliant movie I, I love that but I think with this one if he does something like that again it's what's going to be bringing audiences to the theatres especially when we're getting films recently with such great child actors like Logan and It if you can get someone in there for this kind of movie especially when you've got like Helen Mirren and Luke Evans I think it will bring some more people to the theatre because they're certainly bigger names than like Dane DeHaan and Carol Delevingne. I think Luke Evans is really underrated because while there's not a thing of people don't like him, I feel that he's given in some really good performances and he was one of the best things about The Hobbit. Yeah, he, he was my second favourite thing about The Hobbit besides Smaug. I thought he was a great character in that. I don't like him in things like Dracula Untold, but oh, no. he's committing. We don't talk of Dracula Untold. He's committing, though, and you buy him as the character. He's always into it. And he, he was looks good like as Gaston. He, he does. Really he was fantastic as Gaston. And you were always one thing you can say about the Gans. He looks like he's having fun in all of these yeah. movies. Even if everyone else is annoyed. Even he's in Fast and fun. Furious. Yeah, even good. Fast and Furious, he's having some fun there. Speaking of your favourite franchise, Fast and Furious. <laughs> no, 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 I don't uh, want to hear about it. That's uh, getting a spin-off movie with Jason Statham and The Rock. And and Tyrese Gibson isn't very happy about it because he, he tweeted, that this is the reason why uh, number nine's getting delayed. Um, and Tyrese said, these films are all supposed to be about family. We're not supposed to be having spin-offs and stuff. And it's probably like, Sorry, Tyrese. If you had your own spin-off, you probably wouldn't be complaining. But he's very much not happy with this, and I can see from the look on Zach's face that neither is he. I don't care. <laughs> Just do not care. Just stop making these movies. They're doing too well to stop. I don't care. Just put your money into something better. You've got a great cast there, and you're wasting them on Fast and Furious. You've got The Rock, who's okay you've got Tyrese who's okay but Jason Statham can do some good stuff Vin Diesel can just put them on something better please I don't want another Fast and Furious movie speaking of something better that looks a lot lot better the Roman J Israel trailer looks yeah really good. Roman J Israel Esquire trailer oh, sorry <laughs> I'm really really excited for this movie I mean it's made by the creator of 
uh, writer and director of Nightcrawler, one of my personal favourite films of all time, with possibly one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. And I think Denzel working with this guy is going to be a real, like, force of nature. I mean, he's given... I mean, just last year in Fences, he gave in a performance that I think he should have won the Academy Award for. And to see him come in with such a unique and interesting director and to tell a story like this, because he's playing, like, a really, like, quite interesting character. Like, me and Jake both thought this was a biopic. It seemed like this was such a well-written and well-formed character. So I think for him to go in with such commitment and to be, like, really delving into this mindset, I think we're at least going to get a damn great performance out of Denzel. The whole way through watching the trailer, I was just expecting it to say, based on a true story, because something that the writer and director of Nightcrawler can do is he can create a world and make it feel real and grounded. Mm. And it just, it just felt like it was based on a true story. And then it starts going into the plot details. And then it's not, it's original. Yeah. And I was, I was surprised to see that. I think there's going to be some... Honestly, I think there's going to be Oscar buzz around this movie. I think it's this year it comes out, and I'd like to see some Oscar buzz about it. Like, that's one of my favourite things about Nightcrawler, is the fact that I think it is essentially a time capsule for the future. If you ever wanted to know what LA was like in 100 years, you could watch Nightcrawler, because it captures that city and that life and that stream of just what it is like to live there so perfectly and i think he'll do the same again with this film but it captures a very specific type of of los angeles it it is very much the from jake gyllenhaal's perspective and from his eyes but honestly that's what i like to see a perspective from the character and i think it he addresses an aspect of los angeles that is not potentially the most pretty side, but is in ways the most famous and most prominent and important. And I think if he's given the chance again to do this with Denzel, I think he's going to take it to a larger scale because he's working with a larger actor. I'm sorry, Jake Gyllenhaal, but Denzel is just <laughs> a better name. I think he's going to have more chances. But is he a better actor? Well, that's a discussion, then. That's a definite discussion. I don't think he's a better actor. I think Denzel has been in some really quite dreadful stuff. I Magnificent think... Seven. Oh. I was thinking the Equalizer, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> Magnificent Seven does not help either. I mean, Gyllenhaal's been in some crap as well, but I think Gyllenhaal is more flexible. I think you can throw him into more kinds of roles. I think now Denzel is kind of restricted to certain archetypes of characters. Like, I think mm. he's very much the the father figure. I look at him and I think of him as a father figure or a character or authority. I can never see him playing like much of a villain or, like, I could see Gyllenhaal in a comedy movie. I could never see Denzel in a comedy movie. It'd be interesting to see Denzel Washington playing a Kevin Spacey-type role from The Usual Suspects. Yes, definitely. Like, like where he's very subdued and laid back. But also, uh, John Boyega retweeted it a while ago. Someone, someone sent him a message saying how John Boyega and Denzel Washington should play father and son in a film. And I feel that could be really interesting. That really would. I think John Boyega, he's got a little bit of balls on him there. He needs to wait until he's proving himself a bit more before you work in a movie like Denzel. Like, with Denzel. But, yeah, that would be an interesting pairing. Like, let him do a few more movies and then maybe see if he's still got it for him. But, yeah, that would be an interesting combination. I'd say John Boyega proved himself in a Attack the Block. Two more movies. <laughs> 
Detroit was one this year. Yeah. Let's yeah. see how Uprising goes, and then maybe I'll reconsider it. He was in a small Netflix film ages ago. Oh, yeah? What, what was it? I can't remember what it's called, but it's about him and his son, and it, it looked really interesting. Cool, then. A film that I thought was definitely cancelled because it's been on and off for years is Channing Tatum's Gambit film, and that's just gained a director. And to be perfectly honest, when I read that it gained a director, I thought that this film had died a death. I thought that it was not going to happen. Yeah, I think this film was completely stuck in development hell, but now that we've got Gore Verbinski attached, yeah. like, it's potentially got some weight coming to it. And I'm not overly surprised, because I think... Fox is now thinking we need to try and get some more on this X-Men franchise because we're not going to get Phoenix out for at least another couple of years. There's not going to be a Deadpool for another year. And now that we've lost the likes of Wolverine, I think they need to be bringing in some bigger stars to try and draw some like attraction to this X-Men franchise now. And as we saw the Kingsman, Channing Tatum is definitely a way to get like butts in seats like for the theatre. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I don't know how I feel about Gore Verbinski, though. I mean, he's done nothing that's great. Is he... I know he's done a few of the Pirates of the Caribbeans, but is he the one that did The Lone Ranger? I think he was, yeah. And, um, because... They just got slowly worse and worse, those movies. Because while I didn't particularly enjoy The Lone Ranger, the last action sequence is incredibly well-directed. Like, you know exactly what's going on, and it's not like a Michael Bay where it's close-up, close-up, close-up. Like, the camera moves with the characters, and then it, it, it allows you to consume what's happening. And I... I'm, I'll go see it. I'm not particularly looking forward to it, but I'll yeah, it. Yeah, it, it, it'll be a dumb, fun popcorn movie. No doubt. Uh, finally, though, now that our news segment is complete, we would like to address an issue that we feel extremely like saddened by and we feel is very important to discuss. Horrible. We're, of course, referring to two, well I say two, really three incidents that have happened with over the last week regarding the people of Harvey Weinstein, Andy Signal, and just recently also Ben Affleck, ben Affleck Batman himself. So um, where do you want to kind of start with this? Like, I'm just saddened that while Ben Affleck hasn't done anything particularly bad he's just been a bit creepy here and there yeah and he did come out with a tweet and say how it was all wrong and stuff like that so the ben affleck situation is very much still unfolding we don't know all the information yeah i just oh, it just disgusts me how people can have power like that and just abuse it so much that's exactly what weinstein was doing like he he knew he was in a place of power and then he used that against these women and it was disgusting yeah and the same with andy signal like the fact that he's in such a high up position in his company like defy media that the people working for him are like almost afraid to say anything because it's their jobs at the end of the day i think that's horrible that someone can hold that much power over you because they're going to threaten your entire security as a person like to many people the job is the life that you live like you need that and to have that threatened on such a scale, all because this of this man's perversions, is just really quite sickening to me. Although people said they contacted Defy Media's HR department months ago, and now only because it's gone public, yeah, they've actually taken action and gotten rid of him. Yeah, I think it's horrible that 
it had to be on Twitter for this to get any kind of traction, yeah. for there to see that many people complaining about it and then there to be a response. It's really quite horrible that that's the extent it takes for someone to have to be listened to. And to my knowledge at the moment, at time of recording, I don't think Andy's come out and said a message at all because as no. it was unfolding, I looked on his Twitter and he was still talking about films. He was completely ignoring it all. Yeah. And he, he was recommending the Netflix F is for Family, which is an amazing show. But don't drag that down with you, Andy. <laughs> like... How long ago was he recommending that? Was this before it all happened? No, that was the night we were talking about it that wow. Stuckman tweeted. Wow. And what gets me as well is, um, of course, um, many people will know that Andy Signor judges movie fights, the Screen Junkies show that I've been watching for for years now and absolutely love. And a contestant on it, uh, JTE, Josh the Engineer, whose girlfriend was sexually assaulted by Andy, what gets me is the fact that JT was actually sat next to Andy and they were laughing because my utter respect goes to JTE at that point. The fact that this is, you know what this man has done to you and yet you're willing to keep going with that because you need that job. You've got to have that security. And then to keep working at a company where you know you're needed and you don't want to let people down, that gets me to be able to do something like that when you know something as catastrophic as what's happened to your girlfriend has happened. And it's such a shame because Movie Fights is even one of the inspirations on why we're doing this. Yeah, exactly. Movie Fights was our primary reason, at least in some ways, for us to get this started because... That and Mr. Sunday Movie's Weekly Planet. Yeah, it's really upsetting to see people fall like this and to really, in a way, dampen and bring disrespect to an industry that... In all honesty, we are attempting to contribute to yeah, ourselves, and into, yeah. it just makes you question how you can essentially follow someone like that. None of us ever expected Andy was I like that. He seemed no the clue. nicest bloke in the world, and yet for him to do something like that, it really just kind of like ruins your perception of what heroes are like. He was recently on holiday, and he was posting pictures with his family, and I I loved it because I was like, oh, this is adorable. His children are cute, and. It, it, it's such a lovely personal thing, like a family holiday. And then I have no clue because he seemed like it, such a nice person. Yeah. Just shows that it could be anyone. Yeah, I think what Ben Affleck done, has done pales in comparison to Harvey Weinstein and Andy Signal. Oh, there's like no what, end to the Yeah, Harvey, Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein is really quite sickening. While Andy has sent some extremely, like unprofessional and inappropriate like messages and discussions to people and has like threatened people's security i think harvey weinstein has taken it so much further i mean to like do that sort of thing to women to have it go on such a scale like andy it's been going on for months but for him it's been going on for years and it's just been ignored by people terry cruz tweeted that um the whole Harvey Weinstein situation was just giving him PTSD and flashbacks from, he said it was only last year and Terry Crews is a pretty big star. Like his career's only gone off recently. Like he's been in things like white chicks for years, yeah. but mainly Brooklyn nine, nine that's boosted yeah, his career. Expendables as but well. He said last year he was at um, an awards event or something like that. And then a producer just came up to him and felt up his genitals. And it was like, he was right next to his wife. 
Yeah, which and, is just disgusting. And he said he didn't want to cause a scene as much as he wanted to retaliate and say no. He he said I could just see the headlines there and then saying like black man going for CEO or producer or something like that. Yeah. And so he just left. He didn't do anything about it. He just left. Yeah, which is really unfortunate that he should be violated in a way like that and then be able to say nothing because it will ruin his career in a sense. It, we were talking about this before we started. How does someone reach such a position of power that acts like this can just go unpunished? And Because it's not even like... It's a democracy where he's been voted in. He's, he's essentially given himself this power. Yeah, yeah. Like with the Andy... With the Annie Signore, like, when there's this girl, like, she was saying, like, how she was into... She got involved with Screen because she was doing, like, a... Pursuing a career in costume design, and to see how this entire experience has ruined her dream, how she's given up on it entirely, that's heartbreaking for me, because to see something so important to someone just be crushed because of one man's just disgusting nature... Especially, like, I know how how much passion I have to want to get into film. So I can only imagine how much she had. And then to just see that die from someone's actions is horrible. Yeah, it really is. I feel that this entire experience though has given the industry important lessons. Dan Morrill recently said when someone was asking like, oh, can we expect um, an honest trailer this week? Like he said, "Um, no, what has happened has like irrecoverably changed how we do things like it's fundamentally been like destroyed and that they now need time to be asking questions they need answers and i think that's what the industry as a whole needs to be doing there need to be more questions about this topic asked i think there need to be more provisions put in place to see that women in this industry and men for that matter no one should like be persecuted to see that they can receive support and they should receive support that is worthwhile and is going to matter like for all people Hmm. and i really really respect hal rudnick for when all these at this point it was just allegations came forward uh, towards andy signal he said if you've ever had any experience with this then come forward because you're brave and I 100% believe you. Mm. It was beautiful to see members of the Screen Junkies like channel, because these are people I've been watching for years, and to essentially see them come forward and just admit that although this man is their friend, what they are able to admit that he's done wrong is the same with Harvey Weinstein. Like his, Even his brother is able to admit that your own brother has done wrong on such a scale that you need to be punished for it. And I think it's, it really sets a standard for the industry and I think where it can go if, if incidents like this are to repeat or for incidents like this to be prevented in the future. I'd say that's enough on that. And let's just get into Blade Runner. First, we're gonna talk about the first Blade Runner and then we'll then go into the new sequel. Um, With the first one, because it is, even though it is over 30 years old and it is, and it's been out for ages, we're still going to do a quick non-spoiler section and then go into spoilers because still a lot of people haven't seen it. And I'm just going to say now, if you haven't seen it, go and see it now. Just do it as soon as you can. Yeah, and it's also very important to remember that 
while you can see Blade Runner 2049 without having seen the original Blade Runner, you will not appreciate it as much. Although I spoke to a friend who hadn't seen the original and she went to see this one and she knew what was going on, but she didn't appreciate it the same. No, I, I, I too discussed with her this thing. She was very much on the fence of like, oh, you don't need to have seen the original. And I was, I was very much, yeah, if you have, then you're really going to appreciate yeah. some of the subtle kind of film filming and storytelling that goes into this movie to be able to really like see like god these people are really yeah these people are geniuses when it comes to making film and i don't think you notice that unless if you've got kind of the the knowledge of the first film which is understandable it's it's not a film Mm. for everyone but i think if you are someone who really wants to go in and love this film and you are a big sci-fi fan you definitely want to see the first one so the first one i love it's an absolute classic i i try and watch it at least every year (laughs) yeah i try and watch it as often as i can i absolutely adore it i i can see it has problems and it has areas where it could have improved and done a bit better but i've only ever seen the final cut yeah which is which is the one to do because I've seen clips from the original that was like I'm a theatrical. fan of a specific scene from the original because I do like them driving off in the sunset together. I hate the fact that what, it's got... with footage from The Shining? No, oh, shut up. I do like them. I think that's something that's nice about that original movie. It does get a bit of a happy ending. I prefer the ambiguity of the final cut, but I do like that scene at least. It does. Need... But I don't like the narration. No, you hate the narration, of course, but I think you do just need a tiny bit of joy to come out of that film otherwise it is just two hours of nihilism harrison ford said that he did the narration so poorly that he thought they wouldn't use it but then they used it and he did it like just if if you listen to his narration yeah. you can just tell that he is not interested no, not at, at all. all i think i love the original blade runner i'm not the biggest fan in the world of it like my father was content to see have me see this film by a certain point and I feel it had been a little bit overhyped for me. But don't get me wrong, while it's got specific elements that I hate about it, I love this film. I think it's the epitome of techno-noir. It's cyberpunk at its very best. Well, it kicked off the birth of cyberpunk. Yeah, it really did. Like, so many films, like Ghost in the Shell, The Matrix, they all attribute, like, their creation to that of Blade Runner. I mean, Blade Runner is even in the Institute of Films to be nationally protected because it's that important yeah. and that influential to cinema i don't like there's two things i don't like about it i don't like rutger howard that much people rave about his performance i think i really like him i think he's overacting for a lot of it except that monologue yeah that monologue like never been done better and i don't like harrison ford that much as deckard in the original movie because he is a very rapey character in that movie the way he is with rachel is really not something that i liked about the character it's a a horrible world but up until that point i had actually quite liked deckard and it ruined the character that's not harrison's fault no it's not harrison's fault at all i just didn't like that they went that way with the character it's a really really gorgeous movie though like the visuals it's beautiful like just it is it's like with the new one just watch it on as big a screen as you can yeah with as good a sound as you can because it is just that good there are very few films that I think you can recommend that are must-see cinema films, but I think Blade Runner is 
without a doubt, one of the most important yeah. ones to see in the cinema. Yeah, very much so. Especially with how badly the new one's doing financially. Yeah, it really it's so me. sad. Yeah, man. that's so sad. That's man. devastating. That things like Baywatch or the Minions movie will make money over Blade Runner twenty forty nine because that is to me, quite frankly, one of the best made films I've ever seen. Yeah, and that's devastating. We're now gonna. I know there were light spoilers in that, and I'm sorry for that. But we're now gonna go into heavier spoilers for the yeah, first one I don't think we're even going to hold a non-spoiler point with Blade Runner 2049 because I think we just need to go straight into it there are certain plot points that I just feel need to be discussed no instantly. I feel that we can talk about all right, all right, performances and stuff but don't say anything about the story no. right so in the first one there's a I, I wasn't expecting him to just burst his eyes like oh, God, for, for the blood they one of the reasons why that film was so over budget is because they made this really expensive replica of his head yeah and in the end they just put some put some tubes like going up his arms and then just squirted blood up through there and oh. it, they actually used the actor's head yeah. and i that, that Rid, ridley scott amazing. said that that he he said he doesn't regret it but it's definitely something that doesn't feel particularly right about yeah. it like, I didn't understand why he felt the need to have to kill his father. Like, his father, like, openly admits, like, I want to make replicants that can live longer. I want to make replicants that can feel things. He's just like, I'm really sorry, but I just cannot do this for you. It's like, he feels genuine compassion for for Rucker House, for Roy Batty, and he just can't help him. Like, I still don't understand why that justifies his death, though. I'd say... My three favourite lines in the original are more human than human. Yeah. Things I've seen with your eyes. Yeah. And tears in the rain. Tears in the rain is one of the all-time great monologues of cinema. I don't think you could ever beat that. And just the fight scene that, like, was before it is yeah. sensational. Like, the coordination of the characters and, like, that scene where he's got, like, his head bursts through the wall and he's just, like, talking to him. Even and the way just it's playing shot, with him, yeah. it's like he's playing with his food. Yeah, it's really like perfect, like it's toying with him scene, and like I think every replicant in the original movie is also extremely original. Like when you've got the um, stripper one with the snake, you've got the fug one at the very beginning who fails the interview. Roy, of course, the um, the dancing one. They're all like really unique in their own sense, and they're all memorable, and they all have like their own really different points in the movie to shine i was thinking it was going to be like the roy Batty show like you get solely him but the fact that you got to see elements of all five replicants four replicants sorry and then got to see how they differently felt about this particular that they're in that they've only got four years to live i think that was really interesting about the original film although people are saying one of the reasons why the original is such a classic and why it still resonates with audiences is because it's, for, it's still very relevant because I never saw it like this until I read an article on it and they said how someone's just come in and said these people aren't people and if you fail these questions then, you, yeah. then you're retired yeah. or, or you're kicked out of the country or insert something here. Yeah. And so it's then like questions that 
don't really have anything to do with it, like yeah. a turtle on its back or something like that. And they feel actual compassion and they feel actual emotions. Yeah, and it's just, like they don't feel it enough. And it's like the point where you can't tell anymore. Why does it matter? Yeah, it's it's solely just because we're scared of them. And I think it's a beautiful metaphor about humanity's fear for what they can really create. Because the primary reason they want to retire the replicants is just because they're scared that there will come a point where the replicants overrun them when the replicants become the dominant race because well, they are they're, yeah. they're advanced in every way to human beings with their only fault being their lifespan I think we can't go on talking about the original without addressing do you think just from the original don't include no, the sequel no, do you I think that Deckard is a replicant from just watching the original yeah from just watching the original I really still think that Deckard is a replicant i think it's so perfectly referenced in the film like there are certain shots where it's blinking you'll miss it and they've all got it like deckard himself has got the eye thing that yeah. all the replicants have got and then the origami at the yeah end. the origami from gaff's character and the fact that he only speaks english for him at the very end when he's like i guess you'll stick around it's just like that and the fact that points that you don't get anything from Deckard about his past. It's just like, it's only ever talked about. Hmm. You don't ever see about it. He never speaks about it himself. They all just talk of his exploits. And I think it's the best ambiguous question ever put in cinema. Like, is I think that's also one of the reasons why it is still spoken about, because even the people that made the film can't decide if he is or he isn't. Yeah, R and Ridley Scott famously goes on and off in interviews about what Deckard really is. He said on numerous occasions he is a replicant or he isn't and it really is for you to decide. Mark Commode did um, a screening of the original, this was a while ago now, did a screening of the original and then they were going to show like a 10 minute clip from the new one and beforehand they had like a Q&A panel with Ridley Scott and then Denise Villeneuve was there and he said I'm sorry I've got to put the question to you is, De is Deckard a replicant? And Ridley Scott said, yes, he definitely is. The original movie doesn't work if he's not, because that's what it's all about. Yeah. And then Denise Villeneuve, the one who made the new one, said, no, he's not. And it's interesting how they still have these contrasting opinions and this contrasting yeah. take on the film. I agree but yet both of them are right yeah. at the same time. I personally agree with um, Ridley Scott when he says that this film can't work. Unless if Deckard is a replicant, because I think the most interesting thing about it is a, a robot hunting down a robot, knowing that the same eventuality is going to happen to him, that there will one day come a day where he is also retired, potentially. Which is why I find it so interesting, because he's doing something unknowingly that will one day happen to him, because he doesn't know he's a replicant. And that's why I think to see the scenes where it's like the police chief and he's just there looking at him and he's just there, you see that he knows and he's like, I'm sending you off to do this, but it's not going to be long before I'm calling someone in to come get you. And that's what I love about the original movie. Do you want to talk about the sequel? I cannot wait to talk about the sequel. <laughs> Blade Runner 2049 is quite possibly the best movie of 2017. The best made movie, I will put that to battle with anyone, it is the best made movie and is potentially my personal favourite. I'd say cinematography-wise, I'd say cinematography-wise, definitely. I wouldn't just say for cinematography, I'd say for score, 
I'd say for performances, I'd say for story. This film's really up there for me. Yeah, I'd say the three films that have impressed me most this year are definitely Mother, Logan, and now this. Yeah, this is, I think, a film that in years to come is going to be taught in film school. I think this is Denis Villeneuve's best work. I will honestly, like, it's been out for a few weeks, but I will honestly say this is his best movie, in my opinion. It's so much attention to deal and detail and beautifully crafted stories and set pieces that everything pales in comparison. Another point that Mark Commode brought up, he said, when you first go to film school, an exercise that they get you to do is they show you a clip from a film or they show you a film, and every time there's a cut from a shot to another, you clap. And in modern films, it's clap, 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 clap because of how fast the editing is and how it's all done quickly. Whereas in this one, it takes its time and it's slow yeah, and it's like, no, we're taking it at one. this pace. So it's clap. Clap. Yeah. And it, it definitely tells you we are this sort of film. Yeah. You're either on board or you're not, but we hope you're on board. This is the... The thinking person's film of 2017 like you've this isn't a film that i think you can universally show anyone this is a film that is for a very specific kind of audience for someone who is willing to like this isn't a film with like big action set pieces this is like a film that's all about questions that we're asking about society and humanity as a species it's something you can really only show to someone if they're willing to sit through the length of it, if they're willing to discuss the questions, if they're willing to accept the ambiguity of that this movie itself presents. And yeah, I think definitely. that's why it, like the original, will go down in history because of it. I personally prefer this one to the original. I think this one addresses... This one addresses more important facts and arguments than I think the original one did, and is to me just... I understand it's years of difference, but it feels to me better made. I feel Denis Villeneuve was more in love with this universe than I think Ridley Scott was, personally. But he also had a lot more money and a lot more technology. Yeah, to yeah, there's with. that to be sure, but yeah, I yeah, think yeah. at the same time, this one like does more and you can't fault it for it. The, performance in, the performances in this were really good. I was expecting Harrison Ford to just sort of do what he did in The Force Awakens and just yeah. play Harrison Ford. But that's what he's done for some scenes. But then I'm, I'm not going to say which scene, but we'll I think Zach, Zach knows. But you can tell that he is one of the highest paid actors around for a reason. He yeah. has earned his status there. Yeah, there was some scenes in this where his reactions left me and his actions as such left me just speechless in all honesty his like what he brought to this role to revisit such a classic character of his and to just bring it back he did it so well and so amazingly but i think gosling overtakes I gosling. him i think gosling in this movie really went there he just destroyed his pretty boy comedy persona and he brought to the screen a really dark and challenged character i think he brought something that I personally could have seen him playing Deckard in the original. He did this so well. Like He was my favourite character in the whole film. I would say Ryan Gosling, over the past few years, is definitely trying to establish himself as an actor. actor. And rather than just 
the pretty muscly face from comedies because he's been in films like drive he's been in la la land he's directed lost river and in this film he is so good he is brilliant in this film he annihilates the pretty boy persona that he's built for himself in this movie because he gets rough in this movie ryan gosling like really gets the shit kicked out of him he's the opening fight scene for this movie was like the fact that he takes on dave batista that was a brutal action scene for me that was like it's one of the few ones in the film but it's extremely memorable because of it i'd say dave this is definitely dave batista's best performance Oh, yes, without a doubt. I... Because in Guardians, while he is really good and he has such good comedic timing with you know, as Drax, yeah. he's not given he was a lot to work with. Yeah. Whereas in this one, even though he looks like Steve Jobs, <laughs> he still has all this weight behind him, and I loved it. Yeah, his character was just so accepting and content with just what was going to happen and just... He brought a tiredness to his character. Yeah. He's just like... He's, he's done. Just, he's just done. He's just tired of the life and that he lives and the world that he's experienced. And that, that, this, this beautiful line in the film, Rue says, it's like, you've never seen a miracle. And you know, like, you can see the conviction in his eyes. Like, the things that he has seen, his character, for me, personally personified the Tears in the Rain monologue. He's seen so much. And when what Ryan Gosling does to him, he does to him, it's gone in an instant. The things that that man has seen are just destroyed. And I think like that tears is in the rain. Exactly like tears in the rain. And that's why I feel Dave Bautista was an amazing character for this movie. Someone else that I feel really, really brought it to the table for me was Jared Leto. I wasn't expecting too much from him, but he he did pretty well. Uh, Denise Villeneuve came out and said that before, while they were still sort of changing the script and sorting out the story he very much pictured that role for david bowie yeah i think bowie would have brought something very interesting to the role i think bowie would have been iconic for it like in the prestige he he's proven himself to be a good performer but jared leto still did a very good job with this jared leto astounded me in this film i didn't think he could be redeemed after suicide Squad, but <laughs> he brought a coldness to this movie he brought a chilling nature the scene between him and Harrison Ford is my absolute favourite scene in the movie. It's absolutely sensational, the tension that follows this character. And I don't think, I'm actually going to say it, in movie history, I don't think a character has ever been scored better. The music that Darth follows... Vader. No, I, I, I honestly hold this character above it. The music that follows Jared Leto in this movie and that plays within scenes with him and adds to further layers of his character was sensational. Hats off to Hans Zimmer for this movie. It's probably one of my favourite scores of him yeah, that's ever done. The score for this was brilliant because it took yeah. aspects from the original, but then it also added things. And sometimes I wasn't sure if it was the music or if yeah. it was an engine. Yeah, it was just... Right, you don't top the original Blade Runner soundtrack easily, but this film did it. I wouldn't say it topped it for me. But, I think it is, personally. But I think I would say it definitely, definitely is up there. So I'm trying to do that Something else that I think was done amazingly in this film is the fact that there are little prequel shorts that were bought out by, how should I put it, um, friends of Denis Villeneuve. And one of these was called Blade Runner 2036. And 
if you wanted more Leto after finishing this movie, or you wanted to know more about the character, I would highly recommend that you get a hold of Blade Runner 2036, because there is an amazing scene where you learn how he brought back the construction of making of replicants, and the scene is absolutely chilling. And it's something that, going into the film, you see even more brought to that film. He's like villainous and just completely just cold nature his character seemed very like wise beyond his years except he did also seem very childish like we only have nine planets but we want more and he also seems very zuckerberg-esque sort of thing that's something that i kind of liked about him because i often think when i watch the original blade runner with terrell that he is kind of that man who's dying that man who's just keen to leave a legacy whereas this is like with Neander Wallace, um, Leto's character, he's the man who's keen to see his legacy never end. Like, he's essentially keen to just be immortal. And I think that was something that was really interesting about the character. Like, the fact that he creates these replicants when really in his own mind he'd love to be one. Yeah, because Tyrell from the first one, he seems very nice and very genuine. Like, he's yeah, having yeah. that game of chess. Whereas, you wouldn't want to play chess with Leto. Yeah, and in the original, how like Terrell is to Roy Batty, how he's actually genuinely sorry that he can't expand his lifetime, whereas Neanderthal yeah, Wallace, he just kills like replicants left, right, and center because he just does not care. He can create millions more of the same replicant if he wanted to and make it exactly the same. So I think he's interesting, a character in a sense that I think life to him means very little, given how well he can essentially create and mold it. Something I found very strange about his character is, well, his character was blind, but then Leto put in contacts to look that he was blind. But why didn't they CG that in? Because surely if there's a blind character and they cast a sighted actor, that would help with practicality of like getting him on set and helping with things. But apparently he was tripping over stuff mm. and he was all over the place. Yeah. So he was doing his good old Leto Leto method acting, but he did say on talk show that it helped him because Harrison Ford is one of his idols. Yeah. And so it then allowed him to distance himself from it, else he said he would have just fanboyed. Yeah, I think that's something that would really contribute to making a great performance on his part. Someone else who I think really shined for me in this movie was Robin Wright, the young oh, police definitely, chief. Definitely. I think in the sense, in the original, I hate the police chief, whereas in this one, I felt kind of like a real connection towards her and some empathy, how she actually gave a damn about Ryan Gosling's character. Yeah, and she said, sometimes I forget. Yeah, which is a really, I think, important and different thing. Because they straight up say in this one, Kay is a replicant. Yeah. I think at that point as well, we're going to go into a little bit of spoiler territory. I feel like we already have, yeah. really. <laughs> so, yeah. There are specific scenes by Robin Wright. She's my actual favourite actress, and this movie, like, proved that belief even further. There's a scene where she is with um, Wallace's assistant, who is a female replicant in this film, and she has a glass just broken and crushed into her hands, and just the gravitas that Wright brings to that scene, and just being able to just stand there and take it until she does eventually die. It was just so different from her what i've seen in her roles previously and yet i wanted more of it and then she just used her head no, her eye for the no her oh, head yeah, for the rent, rent, and then she yeah. just drops her oh it was horrible i i found like especially with that scene it reminded me 
throughout the whole film. I couldn't predict what was coming unless this until a certain scene started. Then I was like, oh, that character's going to die. This is going to happen. But in the overarching story, I had no clue what's happening. It's just as soon as the scene started, I could tell what was going to happen. Yeah. So I, I knew the forthcoming, but I didn't know the grand scheme of things. Exactly. I think the scenes in this film, much like the original Blade Runner, will actually go on to define what the genre becomes in years to yeah. like to go on and we'll see how there are like elements and influences of this film like especially on the technical side that i personally think will be replicated in at least another three or four sci-fi films that we'll get in the next two or three years the specific scene i think to really talk about with this is the joy scene the oh. scene with mackenzie davis and anna de Armour. this was like a really quite this is probably one of the most inventive things I think I'd ever seen in cinema. I just, I was, I was wanted, I wanted to clap at Denis Villeneuve just because like, you came up with this and it's amazing. I'm usually not too keen on sex scenes because sometimes it's just, oh, we've got this attractive actor and actress together, so let's give them this. But when it works for the characters in such a way like this one, like with the first Blade Runner, the love scene that's in that is very rapey and it's very, yeah, it feels feel forced and it yeah. doesn't feel comfortable. Whereas this one was just beautiful you don't yeah. you don't see anything it's just it's a very passionate it's, it's and passionate and it's just intimate scene. yeah exactly i think the fact that both actresses were willing to go there like on such a level and i think the like, the real dedication from all three actors involved in that scene to make it something that is so like special and also to like to really address some quite influential topics i feel like this was the film her but in a scene and done 20 yeah. times better yeah i think if you've seen this scene then you don't ever need to watch her again i'd still say torture because i love it <laughs> yeah it's great the, the, my favorite scene in the film though was the um her eyes were green oh that i loved that scene so yeah. much between ford and leto that was for me the most powerful scene in the whole film i think it had the best acting like Harrison Ford for me in this scene like he didn't do anything else in the film that was as good as this scene like a spoiler alert Wallace to try and obtain some information from like Har Deckard's character brings back a replicant that is designed to exactly look like Rachel and it was just so well done the CG to make her look younger looked really good except it was a little bit dodgy when she spoke but I, apart I from that, I, I think it looked spectacular. For me, this exceeded, like, when you watch Rogue One and you see Tarkin or Leia, I think this looked better, in my personal opinion. I think it was, like, far better done. And the fact that it literally looked like they'd taken stills from the original movie and then spliced it into shot, the way she walked and the way she liked the mannerisms with her hands and, like, how she spoke in her face, it looked so realistic, I honestly couldn't tell the difference. I'd say with Ford's acting, that's definitely his best scene because throughout the rest of the film, he's very much, while he's still giving a good performance, he's very much playing Harrison Ford playing Deckard. Yeah. Whereas in this scene, he fully embodies him. Yeah. It is devastating with his reactions. And then Leto's just coldness. I think that's where the score for this movie is also at its highest point. The song, Her Eyes Were Green, is it's really haunting like it brings like the tension of when Neander Wallace enters the room but then just like the like the heartbroken like response that Ford I mean sorry Deckard has to seeing her again and then it's just signed summed up 
in that brilliant line where it's like you can see so desperate in his face that he wants nothing more than to just be with her and then he just realizes it's just, it's just not real and he just says her eyes were green and that for me just broke me inside a little bit and then it was the the shot looking at harrison ford and then leto just shoots her and then yeah. his reaction was devastating yeah just devastating just quietness from him i think a great thing about this film is that there are so many lines that stick with you i mean while i love the her eyes were green my personal favorite line from the whole film came from the first scene of neander wallace where he said we developed a distaste for slavery until we came to manufacture it and i thought that was really powerful and yeah. like really like addresses some of the big problems that we face in society today like i remember i think what was your favorite one it was um Oh yeah, to love someone you have to become a stranger. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was my favourite line. To love someone is to be a stranger. Yeah. Th this film is definitely a lot more quotable. Than yeah, the first definitely, one. definitely. Like there are just some lines where everyone's like, "Oh, that is sick, burn, bro." I think the only scene that visually topped the the sex scene between uh, Kay and Joy was the scene where you meet spoiler alert Deckard's daughter who is the memory maker in this film, like, the device that she had and the things she was, like, creating, like, she's the memory maker for replicants. And I felt nothing but, like, sympathy, but also interest in her character. Mm. I I would love to see a sequel to this. Like, um, I, I very much would love a sequel on Earth. I wouldn't want to go no. out, because yeah. then that's changing it into Alien, pretty much. I just want a sequel grounded on Earth, and even even if it, even if it's in a comic book or something like that, so we know what happens because yeah. the ending is ambiguous, and I love it for that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about this film. Like I was thinking, we weren't going to receive the kind of ending that we did with the original Blade Runner, but this film for me tops it in the sense of that ambiguity still remains. The ambiguity from the first Blade Runner is still in this film because. It still doesn't answer the question as to whether Deckard's a replicant or not. And that's one of the things that I love about this, because when Leto's interrogating Ford, he's like talking about their love and he's like, is it programmed? And then I thought, oh no, they just answered it, haven't yeah. they? And then he said, or is it love? Yeah. And there's like those moments, it's like, it says in the beginning, like it gives you the little bits of um, backdrop, like it gives you the exposition as to what happened to the Nexus 6 and the Nexus 7 models. And it's like, Nexus 7 models were proven to live for longer years. It was like, oh no, did they just confirm it? And then you, you just suddenly think, still not conclusive enough. And I think yeah. for Denis then to almost, that's something I love, that he almost like respects the fans in that sense to not answer the question for them and to just still leave it open for interpretation, which this film will give more evidence or like ground to certain theories for certain audiences. When I watch the first one, I very much think, okay, Deckard's a replicant. But when I watch this one, even though it doesn't confirm or deny, I th I feel he's more human in this one. Yeah, definitely. I think there is a little bit more. Like, there's a certain coldness to Deckard in the first movie, but certainly towards the end of this film, like, or just the moments where he's in the isolation when he's in Las Vegas, I think he's like really just. You see a man who is just keen to be around people, just like to be noticed again, and it's really horrible almost. How beautiful was that fight scene in when K 
Kay first goes to Vegas and then it has Elvis like jumping in. That was then, brilliant. That was that was, that was so well scene, done. Yeah, and like for instance, how Harrison Ford did actually punch Ryan Gosling <laughs> on accident in that scene, which I find brilliant. Yeah, the setting in this film is such a love letter to the original Blade Runner. Certain locations from the original like pop up again. I mean, the Terrell Tower reappears and has been redesigned. The city still looks like it's the city from the original. There's like, like you see the classic adverts and you see the people walking around and like what they're wearing. There's the rain consistently. It feels to me like they took almost actual sets in the original and just studied them with such like love and attention that they knew they wanted to make this film almost as though the world had never left. I love the returning character of the origami dude yeah gaff gaff yeah, is gaff. brilliant like i hadn't seen him in the trailers at all and i had no idea he was going to be in this so film. glad they kept him under wraps yeah because they said oh someone from deckard's past who worked with him and it's like oh, for me i was be? thinking it was going to be the police chief but yeah then when gaff turned up i was and like then as soon oh. as I, I don't think they showed his face at first he just put a bit of origami yeah, on the table yeah. and it was like no it pads yes. up and you know instantly if you're someone who obsesses over that origami unicorn and I think it's also brilliant how in this film they give you like there's the heartbreaking scene in the original Blade Runner when like Rachel realizes she's a replicant. There's a scene and story thread in this movie that I think tops it where Ryan Gosling, Agent K throughout the film, he goes on throughout a considerable portion of it believing that he like is Deckard's son until it comes to the eventual point where he realises he's even he's really not, he's not even that. And he's, he's not just, special, he's just... He's just one of millions of replicants that have had the same dream. And there are certain characters in this film that can see that about him. Like Mackenzie Davis characters, they look at him and they can see that he's having this vision, and like this realisation, and they just feel such pity for him. Because I thought, oh, they're going to have it as a twist that Ryan Gosling was his son all along. Yeah. And then... To have it be a character like that that you just don't expect, which we won't say, was really interesting. Also, something that I did find interesting, it, it appears that all the people who are replicants, they feel like they're something greater and they want to be something greater. And that, that's a good thing because they were built originally to be a workforce. Yeah. Because they always want to strive to be better, like Leto's personal assistant she's yeah. like i'm the greatest yeah she gets really angry and then when the rebellion lady with one eye is talking to Kay, she's like oh you thought you were the special one didn't you yeah that's we all oh, want to be that was a horrible scene and then that just builds up to when he's walking along the bridge and then joy's there oh that I've the advert those. of joy oh that God, was that so was... beautiful because it just really hammered home the point that Kay isn't special because yeah. she named him Joe earlier on in the film and then you think, oh, that, that's yeah. nice. That And then she just, mm. the advert just calls him Joe. Yeah. Then, and then we have a friend who has had specific problems with the nudity of this film when Anna Dharma Joy, she appears and it's the big pink advert and she's naked. I think that's also something that was really special like and quite thematic because the fact that it also further represents that she is just for everyone like yeah. what you feel for joy is felt by millions of other people and she just gives you the exact same thing she gives to all those other people and like with her nudity it's like that's an intimacy that's shared between two people but the fact that it's there for everyone 
just really hammers home the point. Yeah, when it's like being when you've been given a scene in this film where you see one of the most intimate forms of love in the world, where like Joy is literally willing to let Kay have sex with another person just so that she can experience it and show her love for him. And then to have Kay just be completely destroyed like that and just realise that everything he ever felt for Joy meant nothing is, I think, one of the most powerful scenes in this film. And I think something that will be heavily replicated and talked about in years yeah. to come. Where do we think this film will go, though, in terms of, like, a franchise? Um, I think that if they are going to do a sequel, which I hope they do... Yeah, definitely. They're not going to do it for a while. Yeah, I want at least three or four years before we see the sequel to this because i think the thing i love the most about this film is that they took their time to write it they came up with the best script that was possible and the fact that they create such a narratively strong film i want them to wait and write something that is as good and then like astound us even further as desperately as i really want to watch a sequel i'm willing to wait even if it's another 30 years for yeah, me to just get literally. it right Except this is doing really badly at the box office. Yeah, that's devastating to me, how something this amazing... This film will win Oscars, in my opinion, and for it to not make the money that it deserves is just... Well, it's more upsetting than Tears in the Rain. <laughs> Seriously, if you haven't already, go and see this film. Yeah. Just support it, because it is... Again, all the best reviews saying this is exactly what cinema should be. Yeah. And I, I was worried that it then overhyped it too much for me when I then went and sat in the theatre. But it is, it's, it's exactly what cinema should be. It's exactly what it's capable of. And we should really support it and say to these studios, these are the sort of films that we want to watch. Yeah, to me, this is much like when we did Mother last week, a film where... Not every audience is going to enjoy it. This is going to be a very particular film for a very particular audience. And regardless, it will still become a classic. Like, we know we say this a lot, but this has actually just been a summer and year, in fact, of where films have been made that will become classics. And I think Blade Runner 2049 is at the point at this point. Definitely. Definitely a classic in my mind Definitely. to come. What Even if it receives no attention for narrative like potential it should receive an Oscar for the visuals, for the aesthetics of the film, like the sets, the sound, the score. There should be attention given to this film because it is a masterfully crafted film and there's attention to detail shown in this film that I don't think you get anywhere else. And it's that reason that you should show it your money at the box office. But if you can, get out there and see Blade Runner 2036 first. Uh, first, I, when we first watched it, I wasn't particularly keen on the ending, but that's because I still felt like there's so much more of a story to tell there. Yeah. I thought it wasn't going to end at that point. And then when it came up and it started with the credits, mm. I was like, oh, are they, are they not doing more? But now in hindsight, I appreciate that because yeah. now I know that that's where it's ending. It's just because I was expecting another, not necessarily big action sequence. I was just, just expecting yeah. more, but the fact that it, had the confidence to just end there like yeah. no that's the story that we want to tell yeah the world's still going to live on yeah that's it's just for that the part we're showing be, well i'd be annoyed if we never got another sequel i would understand and and not argue with it because it is just ended so masterfully and on such just a beautiful and 
like confident moment from like a filmmaker like Denis Villeneuve that you just can't really argue with it. If he said that he never wanted to do another one and that there was to never be another telling of this again, I would respect and understand it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because that final shot where Kay is just laying down in the snow. And the Tears in the Rain music's playing. Yeah, that was something I loved, I think. That was beautiful because he was just all alone now. He's realised, I've died for a cause. Yeah. I thought I was nothing, but now I've died with meaning. Mm. Which is what exactly Roy Bassey and all the other replicants wanted in the original Blade Runner. He lives up to what their goal was. But I think they didn't confirm that he died. So if they did want to bring him back for a sequel, they could. Yeah, but I, I don't want, think I they would. would. I wouldn't him. want him to. Because yeah. as much as I love great. Gosling, mm. they've ended his character arc. Yeah. If we see this again... It will either be with Deckard, another new replicant, or hopefully even Deckard's daughter, who is revealed in this film, we won't say who. But I think Gosling is just so perfectly finished in this film, it would almost be wrong to revisit that character in such a way. It would feel like Harry in Kingsman. Exactly. Yeah. So go out, see this film as many times as you can. We really hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Yeah. It's a film definitely worth one probably even two viewings we know that we will definitely be going to see this film again very soon yeah definitely so this week's quick fire question i propose the question to zach this doesn't particularly relate to blade runner but what film has the wrong age rating and i'm gonna say watership down <laughs> because that film is a you and that should not be a you that no, has really blood, should. that has death. It, it's if Disney was Logan, basically. It's if it, and it's such a beautiful story. It's definitely a kid's film, but it should not be a U and it probably shouldn't even be a PG because of the blood and, and not so much the gore, but I'd, I'd, it, it caused so much controversy when it came out and it still causes controversy to this day. And the performances in it are amazing. The animation's amazing. And Zach's just looking at his DVD shelf trying to find something. Give me two minutes. Keep on going on <laughs> about why your movie is so great. And I will come up with something. And it also has the late, great John Hurt in it. And his performance is really nuanced and heartfelt, which, which is really nice. And I, I haven't seen this film in years since I was a child. <laughs> right, I have got my decision. I am going to go for the original Kick-Ass. This is a film that is a 15, but I personally believe it should be an 18. This is a film... Really? Yeah, this is a film that for me features violence that I think exceeds the 15 age rating, because this has got more violence in it in the likes of Deadpool, and that was only a 15. This includes more swearing. This includes a hell of a lot more inappropriate content. The pooing, the, the the actual scenes of nudity in this film are really quite intense and gross. Really? The fact that they include a child of such nature in this film doing scenes like this, I feel it's a film that deserves the 18 age rating. Watership Down was a film of its time. You could give films like that use in its time. 
younger audiences were used to more adult no. things. No, they weren't. J- Jumanji are. was a 15. That should be a PG. Batman Returns was a 12. Yeah. That is a film that kids <laughs> were able to see. They weren't, they were terrified of it. But I personally feel that audiences back then were used to stronger stuff. I, I feel the opposite, actually. I feel that now kids are seeing a lot more violent and a lot more things in TV. They're not becoming numb to it, but they're definitely... Yeah, but you're making an argument for a movie today. Like, I feel that Kick-Ass is a film that should have forever been an 18. You're making an argument for a film that should be an 18, like an 18 today because it features intense violence. For its time, I think Watership Down would have personally worked as a U. I... No, because it caused a lot of controversy when it was released because families took their kids to see this and they said this this isn't suitable for children. Kick-Ass is something that I would expect to let some parents would let their teenagers see and then if they actually got a hold of it, they would think, what the hell have I actually let them watch? I think, honestly, you'd let your kids maybe see the first Saw film before you let them see Kick-Ass. This is a hell of really? a... Vi- this has got a hell of a lot more violence than that. I would say... That I'd agree with you with one scene that would make it an 18, and that's the microwave scene. But I wouldn't agree for the whole film. I'd say it's very much I would, a 15. I think the scene where she comes into the house, where she, the language that she's using, the violence that in that film... She slices off a guy's leg with a machete, sword. I think uh, Nicolas Cage's burning alive and beating to death scene is a little bit... If you really look at that scene, like how much they get the crap beaten out of them. And also... The language in this film. This is a homophobic movie. This uses the movie isn't homophobic. No, but they use like really quite homophobic language in this movie. I think I wouldn't be comfortable with like seeing that. You know, if I was a cinema, I would not let fifteen-year-olds see this. This would be a film I'd leave for eighteen-year-olds. I personally very much disagree with that because I I think Kickass is a very suitable fifteen because. 18 you'd be like well you could have put a lot more in there whereas with a 15 i'd say it definitely pushes the edge of it i I think it exceeds it like if you look at films like deadpool that received more controversy than kick ass and deadpool in my opinion is a more tamed movie there's no full there's not that much full frontal sex in deadpool and the blood and violence and gore in deadpool isn't for me as strong as it is in kick ass i personally disagree with you very strongly there very strongly. Right, I think we're going for a coin toss this week. I think I know the exact reason why Zach's going for a toss. Because for I a coin refuse toss. to concede. I refuse <laughs> to concede. I admit you've given a hell of an answer, and if you if you win, I'm going to give you the biggest pat on the back, <laughs> and I will openly say yes, that was a good answer. So, heads or tails? Heads. God, please, please, please. Heads. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Yes. <laughs> Three nil. I I still personally don't agree that No, that's a lot of rubbish that I came up with just before <laughs> shit down is such a good quest is such a good response. You've come up with a question and an answer there that you cannot beat. I literally came up with kick ass because it's thank, thank you. I, I don't mean to sound like a dick and to cloak. No, I'm just very happy. Fine, I'm just very happy. Fine. Believe me, I'm going to come up with a film next week that I'm going to come up with a question that will kick your ass, honestly. And now we go into a new segment called Bargain Bin, where it's not necessarily every week that we do it, but if we see a particularly good, if, if we've had a good deal on DVD or a Blu-ray or a film or something like that, then we'll, we'll say. So 
this week I got the Maze Runner sequel Scorch Trials on Blu-ray for £1, which I'm very happy with. And while the first Maze Runner was very, by the numbers, it was very generic, I found, I still enjoyed it, but I found the Scorch Trials to be a lot more adult. I found it a lot more interesting. And I'm looking forward to the Death Cure. And even though I've spoken to people that have read the book and... It they yeah they said it deviates so much it's hardly the same thing. I'd I'd say just then treat it as a separate entity because I haven't read the book and I really enjoy this film. I also got Danny Boyle's Sunshine on DVD last oh, week for a pound, you're man. <laughs> and I'm very very happy with that as I've been looking for that DVD for ages. Who hasn't? Uh, me personally this week I was able to get a copy of Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan, my second favorite film by him. I was really surprised what I was able to find this at. Got it for two quid in a charity shop. Thought it was really good, Nick. And this is a brilliant film that I think Darren Aronofsky has been able to create. It really parallels Whiplash in the sense that it's all about the obsession of the artist. And recently in HMV, I was able to pick up as a promotional item the first movie of the Kingsman franchise, Kingsman The Secret Service, for nearly a pound with whatever purchase. So I was very, very happy to get my hands on that. Now it's time for What's Appertaining. And at the moment, I have recently started a new anime. It's called Princess Principal. I'm really enjoying it. I think it's interesting how none of it is told in chronological order, because I think it's a great commentary on how you shouldn't have to enjoy the story. It's an anime, I think, designed to look specifically at the characters and the team dynamic between them. It's really beautifully animated, and I'm really enjoying it. Also recently, I've got started on season two of Bodak Horseman. Yes. And... I'm enjoying it. <laughs> good, good, good. So, Jake, what's appertaining? Um, I finished series four of Bojack Horseman last last week, Ooh. and because I was taking it slow, and now it's another year to wait, and I'm devastated because I love it so much. Um, also, I've been watching the Netflix series Big Mouth, which is very strange. It it's very unique to say the least. Um. I've also played a little bit of the Star Wars Battlefront 2 beta. It plays a lot like the first one, but I'm really enjoying it. Well, I really enjoyed it while it happened. And it got me back into the first one again, which I'm very happy with. So, before we conclude this week, we will give you our final weekly segment, which is Recommendation of the Week. It is my turn. And before we begin, I'd like to say thank you to Jake for recommending. Thank you for smoking. It was an amazing film that made me feel great sympathy with the character that you really shouldn't feel sympathy for. And following that same vein and that same tradition, I'm going to recommend a movie now that I personally believe will top what that movie, Thank You For Smoking, does. Now, this is a film that came out in 2004. It received extremely limited release. This was, like, I think shown in maybe 80 cinemas in the UK and nearly 100 in the US. And... Colin Firth called this the greatest performance that he has seen in the last 10 years. Now, this is a film called The Woodsman. Now, this film stars Kevin Bacon. Now, stay with me. This is a man who was a paedophile. He was known to molest young girls. This was not in a means that was harmful. It was simply in a, a means to sexual, like satisfy his sexual desire. And he has served 12 years in prison. He's repented for his crimes and he has 
suffered for what he's done. He's been persecuted by his family, his friends, and he's now come out of prison and he's come to try to live a normal life again. It is a sensational film. I cannot believe that this is not a film that is talked about more often. Kevin Bacon in this film is amazing. This is an Academy Award worthy performance. This is a technically competent and brilliant film. The script for this movie is amazing. There are certain lines between Michael Shannon and Kevin Bacon in their therapy sessions, and there's a monologue by Mosdef, the police officer in this film, about what he thinks about paedophiles in general, and it is brilliant. This is also a film where you struggle to feel any sense of sympathy for this character, but you do. He's a hard-working man. He loves the girlfriend that he meets. He really tries desperately to not give in to his urges. There are scenes in this film where you can just see, like, he's thinking it. Mm. He's thinking it, but then you just know that he's repressing it and he doesn't do anything about it. And it's amazing. You feel nothing but sympathy for the guy. His family turns on him and he's consistently harassed by people for having... Well, what he's done is despicable. He has repented for it and he is a changed man. There's a scene in this film where he's meeting with his brother-in-law and his brother dis brother-in-law is discussing with him his little niece and the way it turns in this movie into an argument is sensational. If you haven't had the chance, get out there and see The Woodsman. It's really not a long film, it's just under 90 minutes, but it is 100% worth your time. I would highly recommend The Woodsman as, in all honesty to me, the greatest film to do a story about someone you shouldn't feel sorry for, but you cannot help it. I'll be sure to check it out. So I'm very much looking forward to watching that. So thank you very much for watching. We'll see you next week. Go away. From the trailer, the film seemed very dry with the desert and everything. Don't worry, this film is still very, very wet. It's still raining all the time. It's still misty. Yeah. It's still foggy. Don't worry. Whenever I listen back to us doing the podcast, I always think of how boring and how bored I sound with my voice, but it's just my voice, so I apologise to all the listeners. I always think I sound like such a dick.